Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. What you will hear on today's episode is part two of my conversation with editorial producer for Tennis.com and Tennis Magazine's David Kane, where we discuss the WTA players we are watching most closely heading down the home stretch of this 2021 season. On part one of our conversation, you can hear us chat a little bit about the Olympics and then talk about Arena Sabalenka, Sonia Kennan, Elena Rabakina. On this portion of the show, we're going to talk about some of the youngsters, some of the wild cards out there, in particular Marta Kostyuk, Anaconia, Ludmila Samsonova, why they each seem very well positioned to make some runs here this summer. Of course, we're also going to talk about Paula Bedosa, why her sustained consistency throughout 2021 should absolutely translate onto the summer hard courts. And then we talk about an interesting moment in the career of Jennifer Brady, the last two hard court slams, semifinals, finals for her, the rest of the time on tour, a little bit up and down. So we talk about what should be a fantastic portion of the year for her. Certainly from a surface standpoint, this would be where she should have her most success. We talk about what it's going to take for her to achieve that success. We also talk about so much more. It is a fantastic conversation. I know all of you listening are going to enjoy. Of course, before we get to that, I do want to let you all know that today's podcast is made possible because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Crack Rackets Patreon family, and of course, from our friends at Turner Tennis. You all know the deal. Turner Grips, the best in the business. I make the pitch each and every podcast. I don't think I have to make it more so now. In fact, I bet some of you are already using Turner Grip in your personal tennis games. But if you're not and you would like to start, you can contact our friends at Turner by emailing sales at uniquesports.com or calling 800-554-3707. You mentioned we here at Cracked Racket sent you. They'll hook you up with free samples. They'll hook you up with discounted college pricing as well. Most importantly, they will treat you like family. Again, email sales at uniquesports.com or contact 800-554-3707 today to join the turn of family. I also want to briefly bring to your attention some other content we've got right now at Cracked Rackets. Our friend Damian Koost wrote an article about the lack of one-handed backhands we now see in the women's game when that trend began. You can go find that on the website CrackedRackets.com. You can also go find my conversation with NCAA Men's Division I singles champion of University of Florida, Sam Riffis, on our Cracked Interviews podcast. So, of course, again, we're trying to cover all aspects of the tennis universe. Damien, by the way, his Challenger podcast you can find on this feed every Monday if you haven't heard about that level in a little bit. So, of course, again, trying to cover it all. You can find all of that content on the website, CrackedRackets.com. But, of course, what did you come here for? To hear part two of my conversation with David Kane. So, without further ado, Westoff, hit those credits. Let's get to today's show. Hey, Cracked fans. 
Before we get back to today's episode, I just want to let all of you listeners know that all of the content we produce here at CR is made possible due to the support we get from our friends over at Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming equipment in the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. That's right, folks. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. And in a twist of poetic justice, I think our friends at Manscaped know the grass court season is upon us here in the tennis world. In honor of that grass court season, they just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the Lawnmower 4.0. You can join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with their most sensitive region of their body with this exclusive offer for you. You can get 20% off and free world Worldwide shipping with the code NEWBALLSPLEASE at manscaped.com. That's right. They let us stick with the tennis theme. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code NEWBALLSPLEASE at manscaped.com. And look, a little personal testimonial. I think anyone who's met me in two seconds will be like, eyebrows, thick, legs, very hairy. Guess what? It looks that way everywhere, folks. And I can tell you firsthand, Manscaped gets the job done. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code NEWBALLSPLEASE at manscaped.com and make shaving time your favorite time. Manscaped.com. The promo code is NEWBALLSPLEASE. I'm going to bring in my youngster, the player I am watching most closely, a player I believe we both sat in on a press conference in together in Abu Dhabi earlier this season, a player who made a big breakthrough run this year in Abu Dhabi, but of course has been, oh, on your list as well? I think I think so. But... Okay, so again, big breakthrough run in Abu Dhabi. Of course, she's a former top junior. She has followed it up subsequently with a run. Semifinals of Istanbul, round of 16, Roland Garros, round of 64 at Wimbledon, where she was knocked off very fun three-step match by Anastasia Sevastova. I am talking about Marta Kostyuk. And the power tennis fits the description. And again, we haven't sent her a flyer, but the scout team is on the way via the Power Tennis Country Club because she's got that attitude. And I apologize for dropping back-to-back F-bombs in a minute span. But there is a fuck you to Marta Kostyuk, and I mean that in the best way, where she's like, no, 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 no. I'm going down the line now. Like, or no, 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 no. You, oh, you, you thought you were going to break me back? No, you're not breaking me back. That's cute. Or like, oh, you broke me. Don't worry. I'm going to get it back. And I, there's just, there's a concentration to her. And I, I, it's such a cliche word to use, but a fierceness where I'm just like, get out of her way. Like this girl is here to play. I mean, we talk about Sonia Kennan maybe presenting a bit younger than she is. In many ways, Mm -hmm. I think Marta is older (laughs) than she presents. She's always been a bit like, 16, 15 going on 30. And I think I am speaking to her um, in Paris, following up on some of those conversations that I think you had certainly in Abu Dhabi about wanting to turn 18 and feeling like it was just a matter of time that she yeah. could get out from under some of these constraints. She was able to move out on her own. And I think that also really helped her relationship with her mother and her family. They seem super close as a fellow mama's boy. As a fellow mama's boy, I am <laughs> deeply, in, deeply entrenched and invested in that in that relationship and that dynamic. But I think in many ways you look at Kostik and you, it, the technique reminds me a little bit of a Belinda Bencic, but I think there's just a bit more of that aggressive instinct. And I think there's a bit more swagger, certainly as to, to borrow a little bit of what you said. And I was, I was surprised to see her not win that match over Sebastopol, just based on how well she played in Paris. It just seemed in the way that 
Sebastopol could be a bit up and down. I kind of did think that um, Kostic would walk away with that one. But again, on hard courts where she pushed, up, pushed Osaka to three sets of the U.S. Open previously, I think that this is another player. That, that's sort of the common denominator in a lot of these, these up-and-coming players, that they are good on all surfaces. Now, that could speak to the homogenization of the surfaces, the slowing of the speeds and you know unifying of the balls that they're playing with. But I think, again, Kostic is another one who will not be unmoored by the fact that she is off of clay. Yeah, 37 and 19 in her last 52 outside of like Sevastova who just has had her number here in 2021 I mean look at the losses like Kasakina in Birmingham on grass not a bad loss particularly given how few matches she's played on grass court during the clay court season she loses to Sviantec three and four good loss she loses to Alexandrova three and one we could do have a lot of conversation Alexandrova is such a fascinating player to me she was just left off the list but I don't think that's a bad loss loss to Kirstea that's fine Perankova Kudermatova Brady like even an Ann Lee loss in the final of the 80k in Tyler three sets that's a fine loss Ann Lee is one of the rising stars you go back to last year's U.S. Open three sets with Osaka she rises to the occasion. She plays everyone close. She beats who she's supposed to beat. She's up into the top 70 right now of the WTA rankings. You look for her number 67 right now. That's two off of her career high, which she hit in mid-June of number 65. You look at the ELO rankings for her. She's even higher than that. Kostyuk number 41 overall. You look at her 2021 results, number 40. I would say she is a top 50 player already, and there still are shades of inconsistency, times where she'll try to swing through her problems. But I think what I like most about her game is that it's not just power-centric. It's kind of like Sabalenka, where sneaky good feel, a really good sense of when to move forward, really, really good first step, and I think an underrated mover. I I mean, people aren't talking about Marta Kostyuk's movement, so I suppose if they're not talking about it, can it be underrated? But it's one of her better skills in that she always seems to be able to get a clean strike on the ball. And with her power, that's all she's got to do. And so I I agree. I just think super, super talented. And then there's the talent component when met with the desire. When you have those two pieces, you have my attention. Yeah, I think it's been a very vindicating swing, spring swing for Marta Costa. <laughs> And, you know, overcoming COVID in the middle of the, of the of the spring, who knows how much better she could have possibly been had she not been set back those couple of weeks. It did seem like a pretty severe case that she ended up having, but none, no shades of that in Paris or Wimbledon. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what she can do mm-hmm. in North America. Yeah, and I feel like hardcore. I mean, she's got a game though that translates across surfaces. Like, it's that yeah. sort of power, right? Where it's just like, eh, hey, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and so... I'm glad she's on both of our lists, though. That makes that that is that's. I'm glad we're both watching out. Or maybe that's too obvious. I try to you know swerve the other way. By the way, really fascinating group of I'll suppose five here from 36 to 40 in the Elo rankings: Zdanzik 36, Saribas Tormo 37, Alexandrova 38, Maria Camillo Sorio Serrano 39, Kostyuk 40. That's why I go with the Elo ratings. I want some spice. Like I, that is the spice I need. I mean, I think you need a power rankings right now because yeah. looking at the top 10, I mean, again, previewing Wimbledon with my very good friend, Daniela Hantakova. I mean, we didn't really even look at the top 10 outside of a Serena as really legitimate title contenders just because there, so many of those players are being helped by this sort of uneven points distribution where, you know, even an Ash Barty, as far ahead as she is, I mean, she's being helped by a 2020 um, Australian Open semifinals. She's being helped by 2019 Shenzhen points, which mm-hmm. 
who knows if there'll even be a WTA finals at this point. We still haven't had an official announcement. Um, so I think it's just, you know, and then on conversely, there could be a big drop coming for someone like a Bianca Andreescu who may have to end up defending 3,000 of her points in the same month with her US Open, fine, mm -hmm. US Open title and Indian Wells title coming back to back. I would mm -hmm. not want to be her in the fall unless she really catches fire uh, in Canada, Cincinnati. If Honchkova and Vesnina play, they both come back, they make the U.S. Open doubles final. They say, David, we want you in our camps. Where are you sitting? <sighs> yeah, it's um, tough. I, say, I think, well. <laughs> I love that you're, thank you for giving this serious thought, by the way. That's all I ever ask for. I think, well, because both of them have, like, a pretty decent support system where I'm like, well, one yeah. will need me more than the other. I mean, yeah. I think that um, if, it, if, the, if the last chair comes down between me and Elena's daughter, Elisabetta, I don't think I'm getting a chair there anyway. So <laughs> I think I might just want to angle myself behind the players as I tend to prefer anyway. That's fine. Yeah, so neither of them. You're just fist pumping at everything anyway. So you, maybe you're just in between the boxes. You're the mediator who you're like, no, 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 that fist pump wasn't directed at her. It was directed at me. Um, and Cheering just, for yeah. good tennis here. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I say on the college beat now. All these coaches accuse me of homerism. I'm like, believe me, all I want is 4-3. Like 4-3, more clicks. That's all I ask. Um, and then some days you're like 4-0 so I can get that home. Um, but no. So that's a player we both agree on. I believe, is that your under 21 as well? Or was um, that your she was, my, she was my under 21. Yeah, so that um, was my under 21 pick yeah, also. Yeah, and I was actually going to – I thought – I assumed you were going to pick Coco Goff. I don't know why, and that's why I kind of pivoted to Marta Kostiak. But um, no, I'm, now I'm forgetting who my wild card is. No, no, I was going to say Goff <laughs> – so Goff is good. Again, I, no, I mean I Goff I would have been – Goff was on my short list. Um, I mean my short list for those curious, I had Mukova, Alexandrova, Putinseva, Collins – I wanted to do a Cal Nina conversation because you might be one of like three people who would have it with me uh, because I just think Annalena Cal Nina can play. Um, mm -hmm. But we'll save that, I suppose, for a different time. <laughs> let's, yeah, let's go next name for me, David. I, I don't even know what categories. I think we still have a top 11 to 30 player left, and I yeah. believe we still have wild cards left. Who have you got here? Yeah, this is a, for between 11 and 30, my second choice for that. I, it's a player I didn't think we would really be talking about necessarily um, heading into the hard courts because of how well she performed on clay. I thought that the grass courts would be a bit of a buffer for her. But I was really impressed to see Paula Badosa make the fourth round of Wimbledon. Some really hard-fought matches um, overcame some really, you know, tricky opposition against Putintseva, Lynette in the second and third round. Those two have played some really epic matches in the past for her to make it through. Both of them had her chances against Mukova in the fourth round. Was a little disappointed that she couldn't figure that one out after the big lead she had in the first set and in the tiebreak. Mukova obviously very experienced on grass and has that sort of tricky game on the surface. But I think, you know, this is now the next big test for Paola, having, you know, really proven herself in tremendous in a tremendous way on clay, back to all those semifinals in Charleston, in Madrid, winning her first title, coming perilously close to a maiden. Mm -hmm. Uh, Grand Slam semifinal, another match that probably should have went her way, but Sedancic obviously played some really fantastic tennis. And based on how the draw came out, we could have been talking about reigning Roland Garros champion Paula Badosa as easily yeah. as Barbora Kachkova. I mean, really an opportunity for all of those players in the top eight. If you didn't end up winning that title, you have to feel like, oh, in the gut. But that's why they're professional tennis players and I just talk about it. But, um, <laughs> you know, this is the next big test for her. We really haven't seen a, a large stretch of hardcore 
data to bank on for her. So in that way, but I mean, if you think how well she was able to play on clay, it does seem like the kind of thing that she'd be able to translate onto concrete. It's a huge thing to unpack, and it requires more time probably than we have left because if we do, we'll go six hours. But I, like, don't get the comparisons between her and Sharapova, like, at all from a tennis perspective. From a t- – like, because beyond – From an aesthetic perspective, yeah, I think I, I, it's very much – Sure, it's absolutely. evident. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. They are both attractive human beings. There's no – there's that's just an objective fact. Like, I think we can all agree on that. But, like, from a tennis perspective, I just get so mad because I'm like, that's so lazy. Like, it's not – she's not ripping winners from the baseline. What Paula Bedosa does so well and what, what I think – I think this might be a swerve for you. We're veering away from your types here, David, is that – She's another jack of all trays. Like she's someone who does a little bit of everything pretty well, minus perhaps the uh, the volleying. The volleying not her best skill set right now. There are a couple of overheads in her loss in the round of sixteen at Wimbledon where you're just like, come on, like that. You put that overhead away, you win that point. But you look for Paula Bedosa. She's top twenty five clubber, like top twenty five in both hold percentage, break percentage. One of only twelve players you can say that about. And yeah, outside of being on the wrong flight in Australia, like everything's gone well for her this season. It's been a breakthrough, right? And it's crazy to think that's where we were back in January. But twenty three years old, into the top thirty, top twenty via ELO rating metrics. Everything is pointing up for her, and it wasn't the the development curve of a Kenan, of an Andrescu, of an Osaka, where you just race out to the success by age 21, but this is the standard development curve, and she is now comfortably inside the top 30, and to your point, I don't know why she'd stop and uh, she'd slow down anytime soon, because the game does feel like it translates across surfaces. Yeah, I mean, technically, her game has always reminded me a little bit of another Russian, uh, Nadia Petrova, just the, the serve wind up the more of a clay court forehand really coming over the ball, not in any way similar to the way Sharpova really would bat the ball. Exactly. That Robert Lansdorp technique, which is just superb. <laughs> I mean, if we could get more young players to Lansdorp, I think that would make the, the game a lot prettier to watch for sure. But um, I mean, yeah, Paula has overcome a lot. You know, talk about, you know, it's players who can, translate their games to all services, players who have overcome mental health struggles. I mean, she has just been a phenomenal story. What she's been able to do, again, like Krejcikova, backing up that fall French Open, which seemed kind of fluky. You know, it was like this weird time of year, and yet a lot of the players who have done well at that major have been able to continue that momentum into the spring. And so should she, you know, post some some strong results on the hard courts at the Olympics, she's, I believe she's going to the Olympics, um, then, you know, again, the sky, the sky is the limit for her. Yeah, and I think, again, it's going to be interesting to see how she competes because she's now at that point where she's going to get into every tournament she wants to play, and the schedule opens up, and we're just going to get to see her against top competition at a higher rate than we have before. So to your point, we get the data points finally, and I'm really excited to see that. And so, yeah, you make back-to-back round of 16s at a slam. You're probably doing something right. It will be interesting to see how Paula Bedosa competes here at these summer hardcore events. I'm going to bring out my wild card now. I'll save my last top 20 name for the last name because I'm, I'm not really – I just – the reason she's on the list is because I have so many uh, different thoughts and I'm not sure where to go with that conversation. So we'll save that one for last. But Anna Konya is a name I want to circle. 
And that's my wild card. And I think it's kind of an obvious one because you look for Konya. She was what? I believe formerly a top 20 player. Did she crack the top 10? Was she? No, I think she reached number 20, right? I want to say it was like, right, yeah, yeah. 20-ish was the career high, but was certainly heading towards that top 10. You look for her, was a former world junior number one and had reached the quarterfinals of a Grand Slam by the age of, I believe, 21 and just, you know, then had her career derailed by injuries. And we saw the, the big feel-good moment, her breakthrough run in Miami. Since then, it's been a steady rise for her. She's back up to number 114 in the rankings, playing Budapest this week. I believe she's got a match with the number one seed in Budapest here uh, coming up tomorrow. But, you know, it's funny, Tennis Abstract's forecast actually has Konya as the player favored to win the event. All of this is to say the metrics love Konya. If you've watched her play, power evident from the moment she strikes the ball one of the most beautiful down the line backhands you're going to find in the women's game and I don't say that lightly because there are a lot of really good ones right now hers even stands out amongst them and just again it's the pedigree like when she's been on tour the sample size and the data suggests she wins now injuries have been a huge factor in her career but she seems to have found a relative health, and I'm knocking on wood as I say that because tennis is a better place with Anna Konya, who's still only 23 years old, but I think a wild card. Her ceiling, I, I don't know if that ceiling's still as high as it was, but that ceiling is in the top 30, top 20 mix, a factor at a lot of the major events we're talking about. I think in the women's game, especially right now, you're dealing with, when you're dealing with a pure ball striker, someone who can hit the ball the way Anna can, I think she. I think her ceiling is probably about the same as it was five years ago when she made the quarterfinals at the U.S. Open. I mean, when you look at her and see all the injuries she's been through, it doesn't entirely make sense from a technical perspective, at least the way I watch. I mean, you look at, like, for example, an Andrea Pekovic, who has been snake-bitten over her career, but the way she hits the ball does not necessarily lend itself to a clean bill of health. It's so much more rigid and not, you know, in, in not in that way it seems like the kind of thing that you're going to get injured doing. Just that's just the way it is. And, and, and the, and the data would bear that out based on how she's, how she's played in her career. But Anna, it never really made sense to me the way she, she hits the ball. It doesn't seem like anything is particularly hitchy that would call it's the same thing with Andreeska, to be honest, her bill of health is similarly baffling with their low center of gravity. You just thought that that would not be a problem for her, but you I mean, barring a, a retirement in the final bill grade to Paola Badosa, Anna's been pretty solid taken some surprising losses but you know coming up slowly has a chance i think to make the top 100 if she does really well this week in budapest i would also make her the favorite in the match against putin uh, Putinseva, who mm-hmm. had kidney stone surgery after mm-hmm. australia had all her issues in quarantine in melbourne as we remember just hasn't really been the the, the kind of player that she, that could disrupt anna's game and again you had that generation 1997 is really not one to sneeze at. They're all still very young, should be at the prime of their career. I think she, I think I would expect some really good things from her should she stay healthy on the hard courts. No, I, I would agree with everything you said there. It, it, no one was rooting harder for Sarah Cerebes Tormo during that Kerber match than Konya because Anna was a huge favorite entering that first rounder and she came through qualifying, beats Parankova in three sets and then, you know, you'd think her power tennis on a grass court would have outlasted Cerebes Tormo, but we all saw how Cerebes Tormo competed. That was a five 
line loss. And like Konya, 41 and 20 in her last 52. She was dominating at the 25Ks, at the 50Ks, was ready to go play some ITF, or excuse me, some WTA level events. And, you know, as you mentioned, comes through qualifying to make the final in Belgrade, comes through qualifying in Roland Garros before first round loss to Sabalenka, comes through qualifying again at Wimbledon, beats Perankova before losing to Saripa's Tormo. I think the thing that's most impressive for me is, A, it's not via wild card. She's doing this the hard way. I mean, she had some wild cards early on, but now she's doing it the hard way and her body is holding up through those qualifying. It's allowing her to get into uh, these main draws where she's predominantly having a, a bunch of success. You even look on the clay in Hamburg. Uh, after She goes and plays Hamburg after losing in Wimbledon. She beats Paolini, who I believe had won a clay court tournament the week before Wimbledon. Uh, just good wins for Konya across the board. And, you know, right now, is she... At her top 20 form yet? No. I think she would be the first to admit she's still finding her footing, still trying to work out all of the little things that come when you miss as much time as she has. But the framework is there, right? There's still all of the skill, and you mentioned it, just such a clean striker of the ball. Just hits that ball. It comes off the string so cleanly. Really, really fun player to watch. I just think hard courts are a surface, especially with all the injuries she's had on her body. It just feels like the surface she's most comfortable on as well. And so I'm excited to to see her compete. And I, I think she can have a lot of success this summer. I think so. I mean, yeah, talk about the losses to Rubis Tormo, a few losses to Arani. That would speak to a lack of rhythm. And again, I think going on to hard courts, you're not going to have the bad bounces. I think that might actually end up helping her in the long run. Is Cerebes Tormo the player right now who elicits the most how-did-I-lose-that-match responses from players on tour? I mean, watching her, I mean, I was, I feel like I was, I was early on the bandwagon. I watched her win <laughs> her tournament in Guadalajara. I was watching yeah. that match and it was just the way she was able to play as consistent as the way that she was able to play that consistently was really impressive. I mean, and she's a player who, not to go on a tangent, but has, you know, suffered some really cataclysmic losses. I mean, yeah. she's a, a pretty big footnote in the arena Sabalenka glow up story. I mean, winning those first 10 games against her in Ostrava and then losing the next 10 or 11 games to lose that match. I mean, these are matches that are hard emotionally to recover from and yet she just keeps fighting and keeps, and keeps going. So I think, yeah, in this sea of power players that were predicting will do well this summer, I certainly wouldn't put it past Rebus Tormo to stop one or two of them. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. That's a fun, that's a discussion. Again, that's its own podcast entirely. Who are the players that earn the most surprising victories? But no, I, I would agree with you. And again, Konya, my player, my wild card. I believe you've got one name left on your list. I believe it is your wild card here. So give it to me, David. Who is the yeah, last I, player of the, I mean, I'm sure there are others, but who's the last name on your list? Yeah, going back to that match in January with Paolo Bedosa having that really seemingly consequent and, and what ended up being a pretty consequential consequential first round match against Ludmilla Samsonova. I mean, it was a, mm-hmm. a match that I kind of thought that if you could come out of quarantine and have to play a match cold, I kind of thought Bedosa was going to make it through. And she had numerous opportunities to win that match. And it was, at the time, it seemed bitterly disappointing that she wasn't able to close it out. But we've seen what Samsonova has been able to do on grass, what she was able to do at Wimbledon, 
shocking to me that she didn't beat Pliskova. But then again, Pliskova really has proven herself on grass. It seemed like the perfect draw for Samsonova to make it deep. I know she was some of our picks to make the semifinals at Wimbledon, but I would I would think that again, talk about pure ball striking, clean hitter of the ball. I think that that's something that's going to translate onto hard courts, and hopefully she's able to continue that momentum. Five eleven, six foot, easy length, fluid mover. Reminded me of Soderling when I was watching her just rip through the grass course. Just the way it was like, okay, I'm see ball, hit ball big, and just annihilate it. And just it was easy power and was so fast. I mean, she just didn't play well against Pliskova. Like watching that mm-hmm. match, there were so many third or fourth ball errors. They were just piling up. And yet, you know, to your point, she's someone who, rather than play ITF events, has played a ton of qualifying at the WTA level events. She played qualifying Palermo. Gets through before losing to Martich in three sets. She plays qualifying Australian Open this year. Ends up making uh, the main draw there. She plays qualifying in Adelaide. Makes the main draw. She plays qualifying in Miami. Makes the main draw. Gets a couple of victories. Qualifying in Parma. Uh, I just think... Again, you got to respect that route when players are doing that. And the confidence you get from earning those wins, from getting into main draw, it's immeasurable. And you can see for her to come through qualifying, beat Konya, by the way, in that final round of qualifying 7-6 in the third. And then, you know, to beat Konya, Vandrusova, Kudermatova, Keys, Azarenka, Bencic, it's about as impressive of a tournament as you're going to find here in 2021. And, you know, again... Only 22 years old is Ludmilla Samsonova. Yeah, it's not 18, 19, but 22. Like, that is not entering the... If anything, you're on... You're starting to scratch the surface of your prime. Like, barely. And so I agree with you. The power tenant, it's just so easy. It's so obvious. I'm kind of surprised it's taken this long because I'm like, it it looks really good. Absolutely. I mean, she was one of the the, the slew of Russians at the end of 2019 that I watched in US Open qualities. Like, it was her, it was Korcheva, it was Barbara Flink. But Samsonova, again, just built for tennis. I mean, she it kind of reminds me of like a Garbini and Muguruza in terms of a physique. And I, and I say that from a purely athletic perspective. I think there are just certain bodies that are just more adept at this sport. I mean, you, you see like a, a Maria Sharapova by comparison, just, you know, kind of willing herself to be this elite player in spite of, you know, being sort of gangly and not really built for a, a sport like tennis. And I think Samsonova is one that can really get into these physical matches and continue to prove herself. I mean, she... She really had to earn that wild card. It could have very easily went to a player who was in the midst of those ITF, uh, those LTA uh, challenger events heading into Wimbledon, but she won that title. As you said, beat probably the most impressive slew of players maybe anyone has had to beat to, to win a title this year. Would have to, I'd have to go back to some of the slam runs and see and compare, but certainly pound for pound, some really impressive opposition to win Berlin. And then the way she played against Sloan was really great. Again, the shocker against Pliskova. So I hope that she's able to shake that off and play better on the hard courts. Off the top of my head, Stuttgart's the indoor clay, right? Yes. Barty's run to Stuttgart was really impressive, if memory serves. It just felt like there were so many good players in that draw. I remember it was a first round. I think Kerber played Svitolina, and like Kerber played exceptional. It was like a four and six match or something. It was just really, really high-level tennis. I think that's, the, again, top of my head here. No research, no planning. That's the one that jumps out to me. That you you know you you listeners yeah, can't see this. I mean, there is so much excitement on David's face when I said Stuttgart. He was like, "Oh, you're absolutely right, Alex." Well, so just, just, well, just so, no, yeah. I mean, at first I was thinking of Svitolina, and I thought, eh, but she did have to play. <laughs> 
She had to play Sigamund, Pushkaba, Svitolina, yeah. and Sabalenka to win that title. I guess, yes, that is probably more impressive than than some of the names Samsonova had to beat. But I think, given no, who Samsonova is, I think it's I think it's You're right, out actually. There. No, Ben Chichazarenka, Keys, Kudermatova, Von Drusova, Konya is probably more impressive. I guess it was just the quality of the draw. It was that for a no, Thunderdome you get from Stuttgart, for sure. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, no, again, I think that's a good name, Samsonova. I absolutely think she's someone who has another jump left with her in the rankings currently 55 has top 50 power there's no denying that and so the consistency is there but speaking of power tennis the last two hard court semifinals the semifinalist and finalist of the two events was someone by the name of Jennifer Brady, former standout UCLA Bruin. Well, actually, you know, the, the funny thing is she was not that much of a standout at UCLA, but the talent was always evident, and you know, now she has made a huge breakthrough run here and obviously solidified herself inside the top 20. And yet, you look for Jennifer Brady. I know injuries have been a big part of the story, but, you know, over her last 52 weeks, yes, yeah, she won the title in Lexington, but, you know, 27-12 and 12 out overall, so what you take out the 11 wins at the slams, the 11 and 2, she's what, 16 and 10 in the non-slam matches she's played over these last 52 weeks. And again, I know injuries have been a huge factor. We didn't even get to see her play at the 2021 Wimbledon. But now we're in the summer hardcourt stretch, a stretch where, in theory, you know, that's where Jennifer Brady thrived last season. That's where she made her breakthrough. And certainly hardcourt's her game. Matt served that forehand. It's always going to fit like a hand in a glove. Where are you at on the Jennifer Brady? Uh, I don't want to say saga because that implies that there's drama. Just where are you at for Jennifer Brady? You know, it was tw- it came out of seemingly nowhere the jump from top fifty to top ten that she made over these past nine months, and yet, you know, again, it's it's the week in week out consistency that'll keep you there. Do you expect that from Brady this summer? I mean, I think yeah, Brady's an int- Rabakin is an interesting foil to Brady, where Brady was able to really replicate and exponentially increase her post-pandemic success as opposed to where Rockina really struggled for a few months. A lot of that had to do with the successful coaching relationship she had with Michael Gesserer, and they did end up splitting before Roland Garros. And between that and the injuries, I question where the momentum is with her. And I do think she is someone that's going to be under a lot of rankings pressure over the next six or so months. Huge points to defend in U.S. Open, at the Australian Open, this will be her first real major test dealing with that kind of defense. We've saw her, we've seen her overcome adversity before being in that hard quarantine in Melbourne to make the grand slam final, the first of her career in Australia. So she's certainly been through worse presumably, but I think, you know, when you get up the rankings with that, that coach, I mean, we saw even Sabalenka struggle with that mm-hmm. interregnum when she was struggling to determine whether to fire Dimitri Tursanov, but how to proceed without the person that you feel is partly responsible for getting you up the rankings, even again with mm-hmm. Kenan splitting with her dad, mm-hmm. could not be more instrumental to getting her to where she is on the tennis court, um, short of helping her win the, the titles herself. I mean, it's, it's a, I think that's something that's that's going to be looking, that's, I think that's something you want to look into, especially if she's not feeling physically 100%, then having the emotional and mental added difficulties of adjusting to a new team. I'm a little bit more uh, up in the air with her for sure. Yeah, it's um, no, I, I I would agree with all of your points. Again, she is number two behind Naomi Osaka in hold percentage. That serve is elite, and her ability to hit a kick serve, I just like. 
I, I watched it, and I'm just like, that's special. You're just like, that works. Her ability to not only hit the kick serve, but then find the first forehand, which is just as special of a gift. It's just like, that works. And it's an elite skill, and it's going to win her a lot of matches. But no, I... Hearing about these coaching relationships is always so fascinating to me because it really is – confidence is such an essential ingredient to success in a 40-week sport like professional tennis and just having confidence not only in yourself but in the team surrounding you that you're being put in the best position to succeed and you're trusting the right people. And I'm not saying Jennifer Brady is not putting herself in a position to see succeed and not – surrounding herself with people she can trust what i'm implying is it's just amazing how much easier everything you saw her thrive at the u.s open you could just tell it was it it was there was an innocence to it where it was just like oh this is someone who everything is clicking for is enjoying the ride of her life and then she replicates it at the australian open and after you have that sort of success to do it once whatever but to do it at back-to-back slams there are just inevitably pressures that come with that. And Jennifer and it's just I want to see Jennifer Brady deal with those pressures, dealing deal with being the favorite at these hardcore events. You know, last year her season at the World Team uh, playing World Team tennis. It, I know it's a it's a small thing, but the confidence she built there, you could tell it translated immediately when the tour resumed. And you know, that little pocket of carefree tennis to regain your confidence, it's not there for Brady this season. She's going to have to go right back into tour events. She's going to have pressure to defend points points as well it's an interesting spot because she's got the game to have success but is the confidence ingredient there that's the unclear part right it is and it's just like it's a big test and i think we spoke about this before um the australian open and obviously she proved me wrong but (laughs) by making the final (laughs) it was just like uh, the question of how comfortable is jennifer brady in these situations i mean it just Mm -hmm. seemed like in many ways just you didn't talk about not feeling that same fire that, you know, maybe sometimes we were wondering, we felt that from a Rybakina, but you just, what you what you weren't sure where her ceiling was or even where she wanted or thought her ceiling is, you know, is she comfortable just being at a certain level? So I think being able to back that up after the US Open was certainly impressive. But again, I think that that coaching relationship and more the stability, I think even more than confidence, just knowing, and I think she was talking about that when she made the split where she was starting to feel a, a destabilizing force from her coach where the things that he was telling her she wasn't agreeing with and kind of maybe finding someone who is more aligned with where she thinks her game is going. But then at the same, but then on the other hand, on the other, other hand, <laughs> this is a mind who got her to where she is. So is she just bucking because she feels like she's gotten to a point and she knows what she's doing, or is she not, you know, maybe giving the same deference to a coach who has gotten her as far as, as, um, as she got, you know, I'm not saying that by all means, if you're not comfortable with a coach, you should absolutely, you know, mm-hmm change I'm, I'm a i'm a big believer in just changing i don't i don't necessarily think you should wait things out if you're not comfortable especially mm-hmm. on a day-to-day coaching relationship but um getting the inside look into how the dissolution of that relationship is a, yep. would be a big factor in in, in my decision making in terms of whether i think she's got to completely pick up and keep going up and up or if she's going to kind of flatline a little bit for the next couple of months i would agree with all of that and again uh it will be interesting as well just her health how healthy is she entering this hardcore stretch? If she is healthy, 
we all know she, the damage she is capable of doing. So that is the last name on my list. And again, lots of good names there, certainly. Hopefully, all of you listeners now feel well prepared. You know some players to keep in mind as these summer hardcourt events get underway. And of course, if you want to learn more about any of these players, or you are just now, this is your first exposure to David for some reason. There's no way, if you're listening to this podcast, you've read his work before. But if for some reason you're not reading everything David's up to, David, what do you have in the queue? Where can our listeners find all of your work? Obviously, always happy to promote an extended member of our Tennis Channel family here. Thank you, Alex. I appreciate it. <laughs> you can always find my work on tennis.com. I just released a one-on-one interview with Barbara Krachkova after her win in Prague this week. Some a really fascinating perspective from her. Really great to see her embracing this role of Grand Slam champion. Again, talking about a player who, you know, you wonder how they're going to deal with success. Seems to be doing it very well thus far. And all my work can be found there and promoted on Twitter at DKTNNS. That's DKTNNS on Twitter <laughs> and Instagram. That's a promo code, Uh, No, that's perfect. Um, No, I'm not blowing smoke uh, when I say I do try to read everything you write. You do such a thorough job. And again, I've seen you in the press rooms. I know how how your ear is tied to the ground. You are talking to these players, trying to provide as much insight as you can. I know that's something we here in the tennis world always appreciate. Uh, So again, David, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for dealing with my tangents, coming up with the list. Our next board meeting, again, just so you know, schedule it August 1st. We meet the first of every month for Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. We decide who we're keeping our eye on, who are the rising prospects. Uh, So I'll I'll be sure. I I know the new email now, so it'll be in your inbox. Thanks, Alex. I wish you luck editing this, and I wish the the viewers luck listening to this, unless they're going to put on 2x speed. (laughs) That's what two parts are for. Mine is not a voice for 2x speed, for sure. Don't worry. My mom will listen to every word, so we've gone full circle here, so I'll give you the full scouting report. But, David, thank you, as always. Take care, my friend. Thanks, Alex. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with editorial producer for Tennis.com and Tennis Magazine, an extended member of our Tennis Channel family here on the TC Podcast Network, David Kane. A huge thank you to him. I know how busy he is. Sincerely, you're not going to find a better reporter on the beat than David. So a huge thank you to him for taking the time to join us for this podcast. And of course, you can read all of his work, Tennis.com, Tennis Magazine. If you're not, sincerely, you should be. It will make you a better informed, better better entertained tennis fan. So a thank you to David again for all he does for the sport. But of course, you know, this is the first of a couple of very fun conversations we have planned here on the Great Shot Podcast. David Gertler, Jeff Sackman, I believe Jerry Nathan, all scheduled to join us over the next couple of weeks. We'll have some additional guests as well. I'm not quite ready to announce, but I think some fun first-timers that we're going to have here on the show, so be on the lookout for all of that, and of course, if you have missed out on anything in the tennis world you need to catch up, you can find it all 
on our website, CrackedRackets.com. You need the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at CrackedRackets. You want to message me directly at GreatShotPod. A shout-out, as always, to the super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout-out as well to our friends at Turner. Remember to join the Turner Tennis family today. Contact sales at UniqueSports.com or call 800-554-3707. With that in mind, for our fantastic guests, David Kane, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, our friends over at Turner Tennis, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot. We will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.